This is KCRW. I'm Madeline Brand. Time now for our weekend film reviews. And this week we have lots of action, suspense, and a little holiday magic for you. And we have some expert advice on what you can see and what you should skip. Katie Walsh is here. She reviews films for the Tribune News Service and the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Katie. Hi, Madeline. And Whitney Seibold is here, too. He contributes to Slash Film and co-hosts the podcast Critically Acclaimed. Hi, Whitney. Hello. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. All right. This week, let's begin with Godzilla Minus One, written and directed by Takashi Yamazaki. Godzilla Minus One. There he or she is, Godzilla. So uh, the young man is covered in rubble there saying that monster will never forgive us. Whitney, it is post-World War II Japan. The country has already suffered the horrors of the atomic bomb. And, uh, well, Godzilla, an obvious metaphor for that horror. What's going on in this movie? Well, this is a, a unique film in the Godzilla series. This is yet another reboot in the Godzilla series. It's the 33rd film that Toho has put out. The last one was in 2016. It was called Shin Godzilla. And in that film, Godzilla was a natural disaster. And this one is more about wartime trauma because this one is set before the original film came out in 1954. So it's about a kamikaze pilot who is racked by guilt over the fact that he didn't complete his mission in 1945. And uh, that was represented presented by an attack of Godzilla, which was just a monster around at the time, although only about 15 feet tall at the beginning of the movie. Godzilla is irradiated, turns into a giant, ends up being part of this kamikaze pilot's mission to finally complete his mission and destroy Godzilla in this symbolic way of redeeming himself. But at the same time, the scientists start to talk and start to come up with other solutions on how to take care of this Godzilla issue, and it becomes about... Uh, Redemption. This is much more uh, of an action picture than the previous Godzilla films have been. It's a lot more about the destruction and the mayhem. It's a lot more easy to watch. There's a lot of Jaws references. There's a wonderful sequence where a tugboat is uh, sailing away from Godzilla, swimming after them in the ocean. Uh, it's a lot more visceral and a lot. it feels a lot more sensational than some of the Godzilla films in the past, which have been... Uh, Really, if you go to the beginning of any uh, uh, of the continuities, are a lot more somber. This one is a little bit more mm. energetic and a little bit more, frankly, fun. Uh, I think this is a good sort of crossover movie if you're not used to the Japanese Godzilla movies. Once you are, delve in and start getting into some of the wilder films. That way you can eventually make your way to films like Destroy All Monsters. What's your favorite Godzilla? Oh, well, Destroy All Monsters is the best Godzilla from the mid-1960s. Okay. That's the one with... 18 monsters all teaming up to kill King Ghidorah, the dragon. <laughs> Katie, what did you think of this update of Godzilla? Yeah, Godzilla Minus One is great. And I think everything Whitney says is exactly right. They're using the Godzilla metaphor, not in a totally different way, but in, in a very different way in sort of talking about this shame that he feels and the repressed trauma. So I thought it was an interesting way to sort of, you know, stretch the metaphor a little bit more. But it's this really big sweeping epic 1940s style World War II movie. So it has that kind of retro style. And then it also has Godzilla. And I think the effects are really great. I loved the look and feel of Godzilla. It has almost a photorealistic quality at times as if you can even use that word about a giant kaiju. But 
it's really um, spectacular looking. And I love how they blend the, the Godzilla story with this more sort of traditional um, post-war World War II story. Um, it's directed by Takashi Yamazaki. And I think he's also really grappling with a lot of political issues about, you know, the role of different governments in how um, you sort of neutralize threats and even the this Jaws, uh, you know, parallel, which plays out throughout the film, you know, the Japanese government doesn't want to panic anybody about Godzilla coming to Tokyo. And um, it feels exactly like the mayor from Jaws. Uh, so it's it's really entertaining, really fun. And it also just has a lot to say. So I think this is a great Godzilla movie. Um, and you don't have to have seen all 33 Godzilla movies or even 37 because there's four American ones. Um, you know, you can just jump right into this and have a great time. Okay. Godzilla minus one in theaters and wide release beginning today. Next up, we have the psychological thriller Eileen based on the Otessa Moshevig novel. It stars Thomas and McKenzie and Anne Hathaway as co-workers at a juvenile prison facility in 1960s New England. Prison is no place for a young lady. You got a big life ahead of you, I'm sure. I'm just kind of average, I think. You really think you're a normal person? I bet you have brilliant dreams. Arlene, may I confide in you? People are so ashamed of their desires. I have my own ideas. Okay, so Katie, as I've said, based on Otessa Moshfeg's novel, her first one, and she adapted the screenplay with her husband, Luke Goebel. So how close to the book, I don't know if you've read the book, does the film adhere? I have not read the book, but I have heard that it is very, you know, evocative of the of the novel from people who have read it. I would describe Eileen as a sapphic Christmas noir. Um, it's sort Ooh. of, yeah, it's kind of like Carol in that sense, <laughs> but much darker. And it's sort of the inverse of The Holdovers, which is this like cozy Christmas New England Christmas movie. And this is like a dark, damp, really bleak New England Christmas movie. Um, it takes place in Massachusetts in the 1950s. Thomason McKenzie plays Eileen, who is a young woman who lives with her alcoholic father, and she works at a boys' prison where she becomes sort of entranced with the new prison psychologist who's played by Anne Hathaway, who's this very glamorous city woman. Um, this movie is so dark, it turned to places I did not expect, but it's terrific. It's so well acted. Marin Ireland plays a short uh, supporting role that is utterly riveting. And Anne Hathaway is just never been more of a movie star. Loved it. It is very dark. So, you know, take care going in. But it is just like a very terrific holiday themed movie. If you want something that's, you know, not going to be too cheerful. This is definitely on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah, well, the book is certainly no ray of light. Yeah. Whitney, what did you think? Uh, I I appreciated all everything until essentially the plot began. Uh, the entire first 70 minutes of this 97-minute movie is just establishing that relationship between the Anne Hathaway character and the Thomas and Mackenzie character. They're sort of strange pseudo-romance that is turning into something that's definitely a romance, but they're not really acknowledging it. All of that's really fascinating. She's thinking about her alcoholic father. And then there's a bit of a twist really close to the end of the movie where we get uh, all of the, the darkness and all of the sort of noir elements that Katie was talking about kind of shoved at us at the last minute. Uh, I liked everything leading up until that. And it felt like 
it was almost extraneous to add these noir elements. It didn't really wrap up the the romance or the the rest of the story in some kind of satisfying way. It felt a little bit out of place. I, I appreciated everything leading up to that a lot more. Okay, Eileen in select theaters beginning tomorrow and in wide release beginning December 7th. Our next film is Silent Night from the action director John Woo, starring Joel Kinnaman. It opens on Christmas Eve, and as the title suggests, it's a quiet one. Shots fired, shots fired. All units, please respond. Okay, so not so quiet, but there's hardly any dialogue throughout this film. It's mainly shots fired, shots fired. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kinnaman <laughs> plays a dad named Brian who's having a happy moment on Christmas Eve uh, with his family when their lives are upended by a drive-by shootout. Brian loses his voice and he loses his young son. And Whitney, we see Brian avenge that death. So there you go. Oh, well, you... You've just covered the whole plot. I have nothing else to talk about. Um, this is such a simplistic movie. It is so riddled with uh, just sort of action movie cliches that there's really nothing to add. Uh, he loses his son. He loses his voice. There's no dialogue. And he goes about revenge and he does it, period. Uh, there's some action in it. Some of it's pretty good. Some of it's not very good. Uh, the Joel Kinnaman character isn't very interesting. His journey is things we've seen in other action movies before. Uh, Paging Liam Neeson, in other words. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, there's... Uh, I mean, it's better than Taken 3, but it's not as good as Taken. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, he charges about town. He causes violence and mayhem. Uh, there's no twist. There's no uh, big reveals. There's no double backs. There's no realizations. He just does the violence, and that's that. Uh, it, it's incredibly boring uh the twist that there's no dialogue just sort of proves that these kinds of movies don't really need a lot to function and that just sort of hampers the genre rather than helps this movie oh okay katie do, is it saved at all by the fact that john woo directed it oh well listen i will say john woo is innocent here but the story itself is absolutely dreadful it's like I felt like I was watching like a right wing conspiracy theory about like urban life come come to fruition on screen <laughs> in front of me. Yeah. It's like so what you realize is that actually action movies really do need dialogue because you need <laughs> to not only have moments of humor to break the tension, but you also need to have humanization. So if we're just looking at a white man who is a vigilante playing Batman on the streets of some Southern California city, and then the Mexican gangsters that he is pursuing who killed his son, it just everything falls into stereotype and trope. And you don't really have any motivation, any, um, you know, humanization of any of these characters. So I just was like, okay, action movies actually really do need words in them. Um, because no amount of John Woo visuals can really save this thing. It just is really exhausting and dreadful. Sorry to say. <laughs> okay. Exhausting and dreadful. If you want that, it's in wide release today. Now, the actual title is Silent Night. Last up, a holiday movie that's not about murderous revenge. Candy Cane Lane stars Tracy Ellis Ross and Eddie Murphy as a dad determined to win his neighborhood's Christmas decorating competition. What's your Christmas wish? I just want to win this thing. 
I'll take it. Signature, please. Ignore all the fine print. It's like you're signing your life away. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Oh, it will be. <laughs> okay, evil laughter. Katie, something is amiss this Christmas. What's happening? So this is a Christmas movie that actually has some cheer to it. It's not a dark noir or an action movie revenge thriller. It is actually about a family trying to win a Christmas decorating contest. And Eddie Murphy plays a guy who's come on some hard times and he ends up going to a elf pop-up where he gets the sort of enchanted Christmas tree from a very strange elf woman played by Jillian Bell. And it ends up becoming enchanted and unleashing all of these 12 days of Christmas ornaments that come to life. And he and his family have to come together and get all the ornaments back on the tree and they have to liberate these little miniature uh, figurines that have been trapped by the elf. And, you know, it's very silly, but I thought it was pretty charming. I think it works because it has a really big cast of a lot of funny comedians. Um, Tracy Ellis Ross plays his wife and David Allen Greer plays Santa, Jillian Bell, like I mentioned, and then lots of other fun comedians, including Nick Offerman. Um, so I thought that was was pretty fun um, for a, a holiday family movie. You know, it's kind of formulaic, but um, it moves at a at a clip and it's funny and it's light. And maybe I just needed a little cheer after all the darkness. <laughs> yeah, after Eileen and after that yeah. John Woo movie. Oof. Whitney, what do you think? Uh, not enough darkness. Uh, I, I feel like uh, there's this was poised to be sort of a horror movie. The Jillian Bell character has this sort of Mistophelian quality where she's like signing contracts and trying to get people's souls. If they had made it a little bit darker, a little bit scarier, not horror movie necessarily, but maybe more like Richard Donner's film Scrooged, that would have been appreciated. It's also a little bit overwritten. There's a lot of uh, moving parts. The movie's about two hours long. We'd need something a little bit trimmer for a, a light sticky confection that this movie is it's really well designed it's nice to look at uh they clearly put a lot of money into the production design um but there are a lot of uh comedic scenes where they just sort of let the actors it feels like sort of let the scene get away from them let it sort of sprawl out a little bit it could be a lot tighter as a comedy it could be a lot darker as a horror film it's just almost many things without being sort of uh, perfectly coherent. That said, it's perfectly diverting. You could go see it with your family. It's not offensive. It's fine. Okay. You don't even have to leave the house because it's on Prime Video, Candy Cane Lane. Exactly. All right. Katie Walsh reviews films for the Tribune News Service and the Los Angeles Times. Whitney Seibold is a contributor to Slash Film and co-host of the podcast, Critically Acclaimed. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 